Hey babes, just a quick heads up that this episode is centered on navigating boundaries and consent, and it does include mention of sexual harassment and violation of personal and physical boundaries. Nothing that's too graphic, but a personal story is shared with some detail. So uh, please just take care of yourself when you listen, whatever that means for you. Hey there. My name is Aubrey Henderson. I'm a self-worth coach and professional calm in the chaos. I believe that when you're feeling stuck in your life and you can't decide on the next right step, that getting some perspective or a pep talk from someone outside of your shoes can be an absolute game changer. This podcast is that pep talk. Every week, I'll share my responses to listener questions, real life coaching sessions, and interviews about topics that you can connect with and learn from. All things that will help you to reconnect with your own self-worth and inner goodness and vision for your life so you can feel great and get shit done. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey y'all, welcome to this week's episode. So of all of the things that I am asked about for this podcast, I would say the most common topic area that folks want to hear about is this umbrella of self-confidence, self-advocacy, and, you know, being able to ask for what you need. And, you know, I think that's because this is something that's applicable to a ton of different situations, literally any situation that you are in as a person. So, You know, like if you think about it, the ability to stand up for yourself, it's applicable to your job and your professional identity and how you show up at work. It applies to your personal relationships, to your friendships, to romance, to sex, to family. Um, And then it also applies, you know, of course, to your hobbies and your social life and literally any situation that you are in is impacted by your self-confidence and your ability to advocate for yourself. And unfortunately, this is also something that is really hard for a lot of people. So it's something that's easy to say that we need to work on, but it can be really hard, really scary to actually practice and live out. And so I am excited for the opportunity to answer a listener question today that falls under this self-advocacy umbrella. And now this question came to me um, in response to a post that I shared to my Instagram story. And the post was about consent and, you know, thinking about consent as, I think, an ongoing conversation about pleasure and boundaries um, rather than thinking about it as super transactional or just asking permission for one single act. Um, And so I shared that because I love that idea. I think that's awesome. And, you know, in response to sharing that post, I um, got a message from someone with a question for the podcast. And so this is the question I got. I'll read it and I'm sharing it here um, with permission. So this person writes, hey, friend, can you do a podcast on consent and advocating for yourself? I was in a situation last night at a bar where I sat next to this guy and after quick introductions, he put his arm around me and then started feeling my waist and then moved to rubbing my thigh. I was so uncomfortable and disgusted, but lost my voice and couldn't tell him to stop or slap his hand away. My friends kept asking if I was okay and I kept assuring them I was, but I was not. Waking up this morning, I'm concerned as to why I couldn't stop it and I'm so disgusted. 
Anyways, I know you've touched on this in the past, but as strong of a woman as I know I am, I couldn't be the advocate for myself. Any advice or insight you have would be appreciated. Okay, so there are a couple of pieces here that I want us to dig into and talk about. But first of all, it would be irresponsible of me not to name that there are intense dynamics of power and privilege here that are playing out in this question, in this situation that you experienced. Um, And of course, first of all, I'm very sorry that this happened. And I, you know, shared that in my response to the message. But um, I'm so sorry this happened. This isn't okay. Um, And, you know, the person who shared this with me identifies as a woman and is sharing about an interaction with a man. And, you know, I will say from my own experience, from people I know, this is a scenario that a ton of women, and I might even say most women, have experienced at some point um, in their lives is this idea of, you know, being in a situation where they were, you know, um, experiencing kind of like advances or, you know, whether that's physical, verbal, um, that were unwanted and weren't sure how to speak up for themselves. And, you know, what undergirds this is really these very gendered expectations of how men and how women are supposed to I'm doing air quotes um, around supposed to, but this is a a podcast, Aubrey, so people can't see you. Um, (laughs) These gendered expectations of how we are, quote, supposed to relate to one another based on our gender identities, our gender roles. And so as the privileged group in the scenario, men automatically assume this this dominant position in these types of interactions for the most part. And as women, we also find ourselves acutely aware of scenarios where you know, we know that there are situations like this where violence has ensued, right? Verbal, physical, or otherwise in scenarios when women do reject men um, with these kind of advances. And so I say all of that to say, like, I, you know, how you responded to this is totally understandable to me. And I know you say you feel disgusted by it and by how you handled it, but I would encourage you to also give yourself some grace because to me, there is no right or wrong way to respond in situations like this where your safety could feel at stake. So I would just say that, you know, don't don't be too tough on yourself. Um, but, you know, beyond that, after that piece, all that said, the thing that this person specifically is requesting is sort of advice or insight about how you advocate for yourself in moments when it doesn't feel easy, in this case when, you know, your boundaries are being violated, when consent is not given. And so I think the biggest thing here is that when we feel unsafe, we kind of experience this this fight, flight, or freeze response. That might sound familiar to you if you've studied kind of biology or of any kind, is this this idea of fight, flight, or freeze and, you know, that's something that's like rooted in it's it's a trauma response. It's a response to perceived danger. And it's not something that's really in our control. So it's it's not really something that you can necessarily work to change beyond just kind of having an awareness of, of what that is for you and what that looks like, because um, it really kind of lives in in our more basic kind of primal lizard brain instincts. Those are what what's kicking in in that moment. And so, you know, the thing I think you can do, though, is really to practice this idea of self-advocacy and of setting boundaries and giving and getting consent into your everyday life in a meaningful way and in a way that kind of goes beyond what we're like socialized to do. Um, But when we do that, when we infuse that into our lives in a more intentional way, 
and not just in the moments where it feels really high high stakes and intense and scary, then it it can feel easier. I'm not going to say it's necessarily easy because I think especially a scenario where you f- are feeling unsafe, where you know you're not sure if it's okay to advocate for yourself, then it it is going to be hard. And um, I think no matter what, it's going to be hard. But the hope is that maybe we can make it feel a little easier if it's second nature and if we've kind of programmed some of that in. And so, you know, I've got a couple ways I've tried to do this. Um, You know, one way I've infused this into my own life um, to pretty astounding results for me is actually with my kids. And so um, in our house, we are big on consent, big on consent in our house. And so, you know, we don't, we actually don't give hugs or kisses or have physical contact with anyone else's body um, without explicitly requesting consent. So I'll say that again. Also, if you hear my dog snoring in the background, sorry, all this is like what happens when I record a podcast in my home and my dog went to bed early. Um, So yeah, we don't, there's no touching of any kind of anyone else's body without explicit consent. So this is literally unless like, you know, if a kid is about to run in the street and we have to like grab their arms so they don't run in the street or if they're about to touch a hot pan or something, obviously if somebody's safety is at risk, but you know, otherwise, um, consent is really important before you're you're coming into contact with someone else. And so, you know, part of this for us was just literally teaching body awareness and appropriate boundaries to our kids. So, you know, from the time we met them, they both really like to give hugs and kisses to kids and adults alike. And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that they were able to navigate checking in about that, making sure that that was always welcomed when they were doing that. Um, And we also wanted to instill in them kind of this idea that they are the boss of their own body, that they always get to say no um, pretty much to anything. They always get to say no um, and definitely to, you know, if they don't want to be touched or if they don't, you know, want a certain kind of affection or contact. So literally in our house, if you give someone a kiss on the cheek or something and you didn't first have a conversation about it, you were going to hear something about it. So today at brunch, I, you know, my kid was sitting next to me and I gave him a kiss on the forehead and he looked at me and he said, hey, you didn't, you didn't ask. So it'll be, you didn't ask, you didn't ask if you could do that. And like, how's that for accountability (laughs) and holding firm to your boundaries, right? Is, you know, it just is instinctual for him. He knows how that script is supposed to go, that somebody is supposed to ask before they touch him. And even if it's a safe person, even if it's me who we are, you know, very affectionate, very safe with one another. Um, he knows that something didn't go right when I didn't ask, when I forgot to ask. Um, and I think that's great, y'all. It's I feel so fucking proud every time I hear this come out of one of their mouths, this idea of like, oh, you didn't ask. Or every time they ask, like, can I give you a hug? Can I give you a kiss? Like, because to me, that is that is evidence that we have normalized this idea of getting consent before just assuming that someone is okay with physical intimacy or that someone is okay with physical contact or is okay with you touching their body, that we have normalized for them getting consent, that that, that is what's second nature to them, not this idea that, oh, like sometimes people are going to hug and kiss me and I'm not going to want it and like I just have to deal with it. And it's it makes me sad that that's revolutionary, but it is kind of radical and we don't, I mean, we haven't seen this a lot with kind of other kids that we spend a lot of time with um, or that, you know, the kids hang out with in, in school. And it's evidenced, I mean, our kids will come home from school or after school and, 
you know, we'll hear like such so-and-so give me a hug without asking. And so it's also helping them to navigate like what those conversations look like when someone else doesn't, doesn't know kind of the way that we navigate things when they haven't been taught the same way, when they don't know, oh, well, you have to ask first before you can give someone a hug or give someone a kiss. Um, And so it's helping them to navigate those conversations too. And yeah, it just, it really, to me, has made me think about consent differently myself, honestly. It's become second nature to me in a different way. So, you know, I notice acutely now if I meet someone new or even not someone new, but if someone hugs me and they haven't, they haven't asked or they haven't, you know, confirmed like that I'm a hugger. So they've, you know, have you ever had somebody just like going for a hug and you have that immediate thought of like, oh God, like, I, I wasn't trying to hug you whether you like them or not. Um, and so I, I'm acutely aware of that. And I, do I still have trouble? Like, are there a lot of scenarios where I, still wouldn't say like, oh, you didn't, you didn't ask if you could hug me. Like, of course, because I also have kind of those years and years and years of conditioning of like our societal and cultural norms around consent that like that's weird or uncomfortable to kind of state that a boundary was violated and name that out loud. Whereas if that was one of my kids, they would look at somebody no matter who it was and they would say, hey, you didn't ask if you could hug me. And so I think that's just really interesting to think about the ways that we have have normalized that for them so that naming a violation of consent feels so normal. And I mean, I really notice if somebody tries to hug or kiss my kid without their consent. And that happens more than you would think. Um, And, you know, my kids also know to be like, nope, I don't want to hug. No, thanks. But yeah, it's it's made me hyper aware in a way that um, that I wasn't before. I just wasn't before. And then, you know, speaking of this idea of accountability for doing harm, you know, another thing that feels like it does connect to this and how we talk about, um, you know, consent and how we talk about, you know, if we violated somebody's boundaries um, is the way we do apologies in our house. So, you know, our kids have lived with us almost two years now. And when they when they first moved in with us, I found myself, you know, first of all, plunged into the reality of parenting. But something for me about the way that kids apologize to each other was irritating me and it wasn't sitting right with me. And, you know, whether you're someone with kids or not, like you'll, I feel like you'll recognize this is like I was noticing that when kids apologized and it's this is true for adults, too. It was like if you, you know, if an adult insisted that they apologize or even if not, the apology was kind of like, oh, sorry. And it was kind of like a throwaway. I'm sorry. They may or may not even be looking at the person they're apologizing to. And then that was the end of it. They literally like had to say one word and that word kind of like got them off scot-free for whatever they had done, regardless of kind of like magnitude or like anything else. And so, you know, I, um, I struggled with that. It just didn't really, um, didn't work for me. (laughs) So in our house, we instituted this um, four-part apology model. And our kids also call this, um, quote, doing the whole apology. But it's, you know, it's a really, it's a four-part model. So part one is, is of course, saying, I'm sorry, saying the words, I'm sorry. And this is where most, I think, apologies end. And this is true for adults and for kids. The I'm sorry is kind of expected to absolve it all. But to us, there are three more parts. So you say, I'm sorry. A really critical piece is saying what you are sorry for in a detailed way. 
Um, and the key things here, like this, of course, this shows that you recognize where the harm happened, what the thing was that, that did harm. And also this has to be an I statement. So this isn't, I'm sorry that you feel that way because that's not an apology. Um, but I'm sorry that I blank whatever action that you took that caused the harm. So that's number two. Um, so saying I'm sorry, saying what you're sorry for. Part three is asking, are you okay? So this is literally checking in with the person. You know, if you physically hurt them, like, are you okay? Do you need help? Um, if it's emotionally, like, ch- you know, checking in with them. Sometimes the answer, I mean, it's really interesting in our house to see how this plays out because sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no. Um, in our house, we try to say, like, if it's are you okay for <laughs> for Laura and I because the kids apologized to us, um, you know, for breaking the rules or not listening or whatever. Um, there's a lot of like, no, I'm not okay. I'm I'm disappointed or no, I'm frustrated or, you know, inserting the feeling that you feel if you're not okay. So saying I'm sorry, saying what you're sorry for, are you okay? And then the final piece is asking, how can I make it better? And so this piece is kind of, you know, in our house, most the answer most of the time is don't do it again. But it's really about this idea of like, I recognize that the work is not over, right? Um, and for kids, this this part gets a little muddy. It might be like, how can I make it better? Give me a hug. You give a hug, it's over. Um, but this is this part is really interesting for me as an adult. And I mean, this whole this whole practice, it's it's transformative. I gotta tell you. I mean, whether you have kids or not, start like start thinking about your own apologies in this way and kind of the apologies you're requesting from others in this way because it it changes the whole thing because to me now when I'm apologizing I've even started and like not necessarily in quite as rigid of a structure but I've started to to work on ensuring that my own apologies contain all of these things right knowing not just that I'm sorry but what I'm sorry for and checking in with the person that I'm apologizing to and then thinking about how I can provide any kind of like restitution or how I can make it up to the person or how I can be better moving forward. And it is really, it makes the apology more thoughtful, more meaningful. And having been on both the giving and receiving end of of this kind of quote whole apology, it really does make a difference. And I mean, I noticed too, what's interesting, it's not only made my kids consider accountability in a new way, um, they also kind of demand it from others as well. So our little girl child will, you know, if somebody, if anybody in the world, whether it's us or her brother or another kid just says sorry or I'm sorry, her response is for what? And y'all, I think that is rad on so many levels. Like somebody saying sorry and you're saying, okay, for what? Like wanting the person to be able to name and identify what they are apologizing for is powerful and it demands accountability. And, you know, also it has changed, you know, completely the way that I think about apologizing to other adults to kids. I mean, of course, I've said, you know, I've made the mistake of saying, just saying sorry without anything else to my kids. And they're like, okay, for what? Like, do the whole apology. Um, And it really, it really makes a difference, you know, to recognize not only am I sorry, but I'm able to see that what I did that was harmful, exactly. 
I also want to check in on you and your well-being. And finally, I want to make it right. Or at least I want to know what I can do to make it better. And y'all, I know the things that I've just spent a bit talking about are parenting examples, but these apply to adults as well. And I think why they're powerful is because the reason that we consider them as parenting examples is like these are about the ways that I'm raising my children to kind of be in the world and to exist in the world and think about themselves and themselves in relationship to others and what they can expect from others. And those things are just as important for adults and especially as adults who are seeing the ways that we have, we just have societally like a really fucked view of consent and of accountability and of boundaries and that like completely destroys our ability to advocate for ourselves, right? And so what I'm suggesting here is like considering these things in, in this way that you're, you're kind of working on reprogramming your own thinking. And I'm not trying to say this in like a brainwashy way, but I'm trying to say this in a way of like, if you want to be able to step into a situation and confidently advocate for yourself, then you are kind of rewiring some of those basic level beliefs about yourself. You are, you know, changing the fundamental second nature way that you view yourself and your bodily autonomy and the standard for respect that you demand from other people. And so when we walk around in our lives with this understanding that consent is broader ranging than just being about sex, but it spans kind of all of our bodily autonomy. And then when we believe that people should be truly accountable for the harm that they cause, and that this type of accountability is is straightforward enough for kindergartners to understand, y'all. Literally, my kids are five and six, and they get this and why this is important. And of course, the nuance changes as you grow and as you have different life experiences. But like these are concepts that are okay to kind of demand of others when you're creating your own boundaries, when you're creating your own standards. And so when we kind of rewire our brains and we kind of reprogram our instinctual second nature beliefs about consent and, you know, about the accountability that we demand from people when they cause us harm or when they violate a boundary, then we begin to expect a different standard for those around us. We become more comfortable kind of calling it out when that standard isn't met. It is second nature. It's just like my little kiddo saying, hey, you didn't ask if you could give me a hug. So another thing that this letter makes me think about, and not because this person specifically asked about this or because I feel like they particularly need support in this area, but just because this is, you know, this was so present in this scenario is this violation of boundaries and kind of thinking about how we are aware of our own boundaries, how we set and maintain our own boundaries. And, you know, how there are a lot of folks for whom the idea of setting boundaries is really scary. And, you know, I think the thing to remember when we think about boundary setting, when we think about self-advocacy, I think what's at the core of, you know, why this is challenging for people, why it's difficult for people to advocate for themselves, to set a clear boundary and hold to it and, you know, not allow people to kind of break through it and not honor it, not respect it. Um, Why people struggle with self-confidence is this idea that 
if we lean into those things, if we stand up for ourselves, if we set a boundary, that it will rupture our relationships with others. It will make us appear in a negative way to the people that we care about. And, you know, so we kind of convince ourselves that we are being more loving or kinder or a better friend or a more generous partner or a more understanding family member if we just don't have boundaries at all, if we just let things happen to us and, um, you know, let people do what they're going to do and we just keep coming back and it's fine. And what I'm about to tell you may be a tough pill to swallow, but it is true. Um, And that is that you are not a kinder or more loving or generous person because you don't set boundaries. Not having boundaries does not make you a more loving friend or a better partner or a better sister or a better daughter, a better dad. It doesn't make you any of those things. It sets you up for resentment, for a lot of internalized anger and rage and pain and frustration and hurt feelings. It sets you up to literally be disappointed and be hurt all the time. And it shows people where your threshold really, really lies for kind of what you require of others in terms of respect or care. And it might be showing them that you have no threshold at all, that there's really no standard. Um, and it's, it sends, honestly, a really clear message about what people can get away with in terms of how they treat you. And that's shitty. It's shitty because, you know, it's counterintuitive. We think that when we don't set boundaries, and I say this as somebody who is, you know, have, has people pleased all of my life. This has been like a core part of my identity, y'all. And so I say this from a place of having a deep, intimate experience with it. But it is shitty, this idea that it, you know, actually not having boundaries sets up, you know, strain and difficulty in our relationships because we tell ourselves, we trick ourselves into believing that not having boundaries facilitates stronger relationships because we don't want to disappoint people. We don't want to be needy or high maintenance, so we don't have boundaries. We don't want to create drama, so we don't tell them when their behavior is shitty and inappropriate. We you know, don't want someone to decide that we're too much. So we're not going to, we're not going to ask any more of them because they might decide that we're too much and, and leave us behind. You know, we don't want them to leave us, period. And so, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who's going to be a recovering people pleaser for the rest of my life. These are things that are, that feel second nature to me. This is in the fabric of my being. And I know it's true for a lot of you listening too, because we have learned at some point, and this is where consent ties into this too, right? We have learned at some point that the way to keep people we love in our lives, the way to attract people to us and to draw people in and hold people in our lives is to be willing to put up with just about anything. We think that if we can be the one who's the most patient, the one who keeps showing up, the one who's never given up on somebody, the one who always forgives, the one who, you know, has patience that's seemingly endless, we believe that this will lead to more love and care and abundance for us. But it leads, y'all, it leads to heartbreak. It leads to shitty self-worth. It leads to pain. 
it doesn't lead to those things that we think that it does. It doesn't lead to, you know, this kind of abundant love and generosity. It kind of trains people to believe that we don't need very much and that they can get away with, you know, not treating us to a certain standard of respect and of care. And I say this not, you know, not from a place of judgment, because again, speaking to you as somebody who has something in common with me, but I also think like so much of this is socialized. It's socialized based on gender. It's socialized based on age. I mean, I think about the way that, in a way that I wasn't cognizant of until very recently in my life, but the way that we treat kids, the way that we treat children and don't ask their consent for anything, just generally, and I'm like speaking right now about like United States American culture right now, but you know, we don't ask consent for anything with children, generally speaking. That is not the default. So the way that, you know, like asking my kids if I can give them a hug feels really radical. And other parents have responded in that way to us, which tells us that it's not just us like feeling that way. I think about the way that women and queer folks are socialized to kind of believe that we don't deserve very much, that people are going to treat us like shit. And so we should just accept it. The way that women in particular are socialized to this idea of being a caretaker and that that's your fate is to take care of others and, oh, they're not going to appreciate you, but like you just got to do it anyway and it is what it is. And, you know, there's and there, there are a million other dimensions of identity, right? Millions of other dimensions of identity in terms of race and class and, you know, that lead us to believe that program this message in our minds that we're less than based on some piece of who we are. And we internalize that. And we internalize that over the course of years and of hundreds of thousands of tiny little moments that have taught us that this is true. And so the work of undoing this is radical. And this is the thing, like it, it doesn't have to be this way. You are not, just because you have lived a life to this point, if, the, you know, if this is resonating for you, just because you have gone any amount of time and not created boundaries or not maintained them or you know, not felt that you could speak up does not doom you to that forever. You get to change your mind. You get to renegotiate what your boundaries are. You get to decide what is okay for you. The same thing is true for you listening to this as is true for my children, which is that you are the boss of your body. You are the boss of your psychological experience. You are the boss of you. And you get to say no to just about anything with few exceptions. Like you probably have to pay your taxes, but you get to say no to most things in life if you want to say no. And there is something about believing that truth and believing that if something isn't working for you, if something is doing you harm, that you get to put your foot down and you get to say, nope, I'm saying no to this. This doesn't work for me. And that you get to maintain that is radical. But it's true. 
And I think, you know, like I said, the person who sent in this question for today wasn't asking about this specifically. And, you know, as I first started <laughs> started to talk about this, I wasn't sure it was going to circle back, but it does. I mean, I think the thing I would just reiterate to this person who sent me this message is that you get to say no. And just to continue to tell yourself that, I will be here to tell you that until the cows come home. I am certain that, you know, your friends who you reference in your message, who you felt like you weren't fully able to say that you weren't okay, but you actually weren't okay, I'm sure they would reinforce that notion too, that you get to say no. And that if you were not feeling it with this guy and in the moment you knew, oh, this is not okay with me, that you get to say no. And there is a way that believing that in your bones will transform that experience and not, not and this is, this fucking sucks to have to say, that won't necessarily stop a person from violating your boundaries. And I hate that that is the world that we live in and that that is true, but it is. And so I can't say, you know, oh, change your mindset and this kind of thing will never happen to you again. I would, that would be false and it would be cruel to you to say that. So I don't think that that's true. But what I do think is true is that, you know, where you have this disgust with yourself that the, oh, that word hurts me to, to read it and it makes me sad because I don't think you have anything to be disgusted about. I think we can feel disgust toward a person who was, you know, making advances at you without, you know, being sure you were okay with it first. I think there's some disgust to feel there maybe, but not not toward you. But I think internalizing this belief of like, no, I'm the boss of my body and I get to decide what's okay with me. And that actually includes getting to decide if you feel okay to say no in that moment. That's, that is a part of that, right? You are the boss of your own experience. And so if it didn't feel safe in that moment to say like, hey, get your hands off of me, that's also okay. And that is up to you to decide. And maybe we can look back at that situation and you might, you know, as you suggest in, in what you wrote to me, maybe you feel like you wanted to have handled that differently. And I get that. Again, I have been there. But I think the, you know, a big thing here is internalizing this idea that you get to say no, that you deserve to have boundaries, that you get to set them for yourself. Only you. You are the only person that gets to decide what your own personal boundaries are. And to reinforce those in whatever way feels best to you and feels most authentic to you and makes the most sense to you. And so the last thing I'm going to share today, y'all, is just um, a little guided visualization because I wouldn't be me <laughs> if I didn't throw a little bit of woo-woo in here. Um, and also because I think it's a nice way to kind of like bring this stuff really into your body is through guided visualization. This is a mind-body visualization inspired by the work of Dr. Terry Lynch, who has helped numerous people to recover from feeling overpowered or dominated by others or their own negative self-judgment. The skill is to distance ourselves from thoughts and people who hurt us, who make us feel insecure or threatened. 
and to bring positive and encouraging thoughts and people closer. Begin by closing your eyes, taking a deep breath in through your nose, and breathing out through your mouth. Imagine that you are surrounded by a circle of light all around you at arm's length. Imagine this light as a protective shield that stops you from being hurt by other people's actions or words. Place all the frustrating and confusing thoughts and people in your world outside of the shield. Become aware of yourself as a person who can choose who and what to keep close to your heart, who and what to occupy your mind. Place the people who you feel most safe and comfortable with inside of your circle. Trusted family members, friends, pets, thoughts that make you feel safe, that confirm that you're loved, that you're talented, that you're adventurous, any qualities you'd like to develop or feel that you have, place them inside of your circle. Now, place doubts and negativity outside of the circle. You're not running away, but you're giving yourself enough headspace to deal with it in your own time and from a place of confidence and well-being. You are entitled to a positive, encouraging space for yourself, within yourself. Call to mind positive experiences you've had and place them inside your circle. A smile, a nice meal, a job well done, a positive connection you experienced. Place disturbing memories outside of the circle. You are not denying their existence, but holding on to your safe space enables you to deal with the disturbances in an objective and empowering manner. If you wish, you may also invite a special space for a caring creator who only wishes you love and goodness inside of your circle. You know best who and what makes you feel safe and protected. You choose what and whom to keep close inside of your circle. Anytime you feel negativity, anytime you feel hurt or threatened, in your mind, Visualize this circle surrounding you and place all disturbances outside. You can still be kind to those outside the circle, but you decide who you feel safe enough to allow inside of your space, close to your heart. Enjoy your inner circle of freedom and trust. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. 
You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson, and I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty rad. Or you can send a good old-fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes.